It is a privilege to be here to spend some time in the reading of the word. And we want to spend a few moments. If you're here for the first time, this is the read and rant. And essentially what we do is we just spend 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes reading the word. And then we spend another 20, 30 minutes reflecting on the word. It's a good start to our day. And it is what we endeavor to do, which is to go and to read through the entire scripture. We want to read from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I think what happens is, is that when you begin to read the Bible in its totality, you begin to see the entire message. You begin to see the entire context. You begin to see each and every verse that you've been reading within the context of the totality of the scripture. So that's what's most encouraging is to see how this has profoundly transformed those of you who've really engaged with us, those of you who've committed to this time be it our patrons who may not be able to come live or be it our subscribers who may listen to it another time um, or those who listen on the podcast. But it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see all of you, wherever you are, committing to the reading of the entire scripture, because then you begin to see God's word within the context of the totality of the text. And you'll see how profoundly transformative it is. We've read from Genesis. We read through the entire New Testament. Now we're reading through the Old Testament and we're in the book of Ezekiel. And um, and we're in Ezekiel chapter 12. So I'm just gonna go ahead and turn my Bible there and we're gonna get started. I look forward to this time. I'm excited about what God has for us as we spend time in the reading of his word. We'll be reading, asking three questions. God, what are you revealing? I want you to prayerfully ask through this for yourself to hear from God through his reading, through the, sorry, through the reading of his word. It's to ask God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Reveal yourself. Second question is God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? I got nothing prepared. I'm learning as you learn. I'm receiving as you receive. And I'm just going to share a few thoughts with you as I spend time in God's word. I'm not an expert. I'm just a son of God. I'm not an expert. I'm just a child of God. Um, I'm just here journeying along with you. And I pray that you would journey along with me as we read his word. Father, I ask today as we engage in your word, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bestow upon us wisdom, insight, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. We pray that you would speak through this time, through your word. Lord, don't simply give us information, but give us revelation, Lord, that we may be transformed by it. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 12. And it says this, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see and ears to hear, but does not hear for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house, by day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity, and at evening you shall go into their sight, like those who go into captivity. Dig through the walls in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight, you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. 
So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening, I dug through the wall with my hand and brought them out at twilight. And I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house said to you, what are you doing? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am a sign to you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. So I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops. I will draw out the sword after them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men with from the sword, from the famine and from the pestilence that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink your water with trembling and anxiety and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it. Therefore, of the violence of all those who dwell in it, then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, what is the proverb? that you people have about the land of Israel, which says the days are prolonged and every vision fails. Tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no <clears throat> come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious nation, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord. Verse 26, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore. But the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord. 
chapter 13. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. You have not gone up into the gaps to build the wall of the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, thus says the Lord. But the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision? And have you not spoken false divination? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people saying peace when there is no peace and one builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plastered it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding rain and you, O great hailstones, shall fall and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall has fallen, it will not be said to you, where is the mortar? which you plastered it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones and fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that it, so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall. And you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, says the Lord God. Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart, prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of people, every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep your cells alive? And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic charms by which you hunt souls there like birds. I will tear them down from your arms and let the souls go and the souls you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and discover my people out of your hand, and they shall no longer be as prey in your hand. Then I, sorry, then you, sorry, 
shall know that I am the Lord. Hmm. Because with lies, you have made the heart of the righteous sad. Hmm. Whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hand of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. Hmm. Chapter 14. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me and the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put them before that which causes them to stumble into their iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired at all by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, says Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations for any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. That's heavy. I will set my face against that man and I will make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is introduced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people, and they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired that the house of Israel may no longer stray with from me, nor be profaned anymore with all their transgressions, and that they may be my people, and I may be their God." that they may be my people and that I may be their God, says the Lord God. Verse 12, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread and send famine on it and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through it because of the beast, even though these three men were in it as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered. 
and the land would be desolate. <laughs> or if I bring a sword on that land and say, sword, go through the land and I cut off men and beasts from it, even though these three men were in it as I live, says the Lord, they would neither they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only them, they themselves would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it as I live, says the Lord, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Israel. Sorry, on Jerusalem. The sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence to cut off man and beast from it. Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out both sons and daughters. I'm going to circle that word. Both sons and daughters, surely they will come out to you and you will see their ways and their doings. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have nothing without cause that I have done it, that I have done in it, says the Lord God. Chapter 15, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest is wood taken from it to make object or can man make a peg from it to hang any vessel on? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel and fire devours both ends of it and its middle is burned. Is it used for any work? Indeed, when it was from the whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees in the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel. <clears throat> so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I set my face against them, thus I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord God. I'm going to stop right here. And I'm just going to share a few thoughts um, in our time of reading. If you guys have noticed, even as we've read this, that we are now in about halfway through. No, not halfway through. We're about a, a, a third of the way through, almost a third of the way through this book. We've been reading Ezekiel for two days, and now we've gotten this far, just spending 20 minutes a day. And that's why I want to encourage you because I want you to sit with me and read because again, I'm not rush reading. I'm spending time just soaking in it. And yet just simply that commitment of spending 20 minutes to read, we're able to get through a large portion of scripture. We've read now from Genesis all the way to Ezekiel. We read the, through the entire New Testament. We've taken breaks along the way. And yet even then 
we've read a big chunk of the Bible. Just so you guys know, there isn't much Bible left to read. We're almost done. The other books are much smaller. These are the what they call the major prophets in the scripture. And the reason why they're major is not because they're major um, or they precede the minor prophets, simply it's just that they wrote a lot more. The minor prophets have one to three chapters each. You read those in just one read and rant. Whereas the major prophets, it takes maybe a couple to read. But as you notice, we've gotten through a big chunk of the Bible. And what I hope has happened for you is that you have now seen, wow, this is this is a lot of Bible. And yet I've gone through it with just a commitment of 20 minutes a day. So if you were to just do that, 20 to 30 minutes a day, you can get through the entire Bible and you can say, hey, I've actually read through the whole Bible. And if you could say, if you say, hey, I read it with Isaac, then great. That's wonderful. But I just want you to read it. That's that's it. I just want you to read it. And so for those of you who have committed to reading it, what I hope has happened in our time together is that you've seen now the scripture within the context of the totality of the story. And you've seen the centrality of the children of Israel in the story of God, like the centrality, like where Israel is in all of this. I know I've taken a more historical perspective of the scripture, and I've done that because, again, it's the one that's easier for us to understand, that we can just read the history of the children of God. And then as we read the history of the children of God from that historical perspective, we can see the spiritual implications because you can't separate the spirit from the flesh. Can't separate the mechanisms of God and the working of the universe. As a matter of fact, the universe is held together by his word. That's what it says in Hebrews. It's his word that holds it all together. Scientists can call it many things, magnetism, gravity. They can, you know, discuss the electrodynamic forces and the mechanical forces that hold all these things together. But at the end of the day, it is the very word of God, the inspired word, the creativity of God, the person of God that holds all of this together. God holds all of this together. And I want to pause here in this moment because what I'm reflecting on is the very nature of God. When we think of God, it's funny because when some people come here to criticize our time together, okay, I always pay attention and I always see it, but there are people who come and they criticize our time here together. And what they'll say is, is they'll say, well, look at those people again, believing in that sky fairy up in the sky. Or they'll say, well, look at look at these guys again, believing in some guy up in the sky who looks down on us and tells us what to do. (laughs) When people think of God often, they think of some guy with some white beard, you know, who's kind of just sitting up there, who's just infinitely wise and he just can kind of point at stuff and and stuff just happens. and, And that's what they think of when they think of God. Unfortunate, because God is much, much grander than anything we can perceive and understand. And though we use the the analogy or the terminology, which he asks us is to see him as the father, as his father, as our father, sorry. 
that he is our father. That is, everything is birthed out of him, out of his seed. I'm ranting for a moment, but I want you to see where I'm going with this is that God isn't just above. God is through and God is in. He participates with his creation because he is intimately in his creation. Sky Daddy, that's another one. <laughs> the Sky Daddy. <laughs> so some guy up in the sky who we send faxes to and emails and phone calls to, not realizing that if the full if we are the fullness of God, right? We are the fullness of Christ. And he didn't consider it a robbery to be equal with God. Then the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1, and that we're the fullness of God, then it must be that we are intimately intertwined with the person of God. And in, con in continuity, God extends himself through his people. God is intimately involved with his creation, and he's intimately a part of his creation. And the systems of creation point to God. Gravity, magnetism, the laws, morality, rightness and wrongness, beauty, and the ugly, heat, cold, joy, pain, all of these are intimately intertwined with the person of God and who God is. This matters because when we think of God, we simply think of him as a sky daddy. But I want you to think even more intimately of God and his person and his presence as a system. I know I'm getting a little deep here, but I need to get there. Because you cannot know God simply by hearing some large echoey voice, because we think that that's how we hear from God. That isn't how we hear from God. I'll save that another for another session. That is not how we hear from God. We just wait for that large sky voice with all the reverb up in the air. And, ooh, you know, that's God. It's got to sound real bassy and all that. That's God. No, that's not God. That, is, that isn't. But God is a system. He's in, he, and I, I say that because I know some of you go, wait, that's sacrilegious to call God a system, but you can't know God unless you see the magnitude of the contrast between good and evil, between, between what is right and what is wrong. God is intimately intertwined and involved in all of that. It's a law. It's a law. And any deviation from that law and any deviation from that system has consequences. In the system is flourishing. In the system is beauty. In the system is good. In the system is all things that are beautiful and right. And, and in the system, you'll find joy. In the system, you'll find peace. In totality, all of that is what we use for the word shalom, Shabbat, peace. 
And Israel understood this and Israel knew it. But the system is not a system unless it's held together by the compliance to that system. And if we fall from that system, then there are consequences to that system. If God is holy, that means he's other than anything we could ever know. And if God is righteous, meaning he is the arbiter of what is right and wrong. If God is all these things and yet he is perfect, if God is holy, if God is righteous, and if God is perfect, then any deviation from that, and, and if out of God, sorry, one more thing, and if out of God comes flourishing, fullness of joy, shalom, if in God is shalom, stay with me, family, because I want to break this down for you. If, if, if in God is shalom, and if in God is peace and flourishing in all things that are beautiful and good, and if God is righteous, the arbiter of what is right and wrong, the righteous judge that we read about in Psalms, and if God is holy, other than anything we can ever understand or comprehend, and if God is righteous, if God is all those things, then anything that deviates from the holiness and the perfection of God deviates us from the shalom that flows only out of him. Anything that deviates from the beauty, the, perf the perfection, the grace, the love, the presence of God, anything that deviates from that deviates from shalom. This is all that sin is. Sin is not doing bad things. Sin is deviating from the system of God. Sin is not, well, you know, I did something and I hurt someone. Sin is not doing ugly things. Sin is simply veering and erring away from the presence, the heart, the will, and the system of God. So when we read this, some of you will read the judgments here that Ezekiel is iterating and you'll read these judgments and you'll say, man, God is mean. No, God is God. I think that's where we get it. I think that's where people struggle. Well, if God is loving, why would he allow these things to happen? This is not on God. It's on us. See, this is the problem with repentance with a lot of us. And again, I don't want to belabor on this, but it's important that we all see it. You know, the problem with repentance is that a lot of us don't want to take responsibility for our mistakes. We don't want to take responsibility for the things that we've done wrong. As a matter of fact, what we like to do is shift blame. And as long as you shift blame, there's nothing to correct. Shifting blame is just choosing yourself to be God. Shifting blame is choosing to be right, even though you are wrong. 
And for those who like to shift blame, generally we're looking to preserve and to protect our position in ourselves, even if it comes at the cost of someone else's. But when you understand that you are broken and you're susceptible to mistakes and you have the inclination to do what is wrong first before what is right, it draws you to something and someone who can do right for you. That's the grace of God that leads us. That's the love of God that leads us to repentance. You can't receive the love of God if you can't be wrong. You can't receive the love of God if you're always right. And as long as you make yourself right, you've chosen yourself to be the system. We live in a day and age now where we like making excuses for our decisions rather than owning our mistakes. Oof. Can I just dig in there for a minute? We, we, we love pointing out why it's someone else's fault that we've made those mistakes. We don't like owning them. Let's just be real. We don't like taking responsibility for our mistakes. We don't like it. And yet you cannot change and you cannot be transformed and you cannot be renewed if you don't own the things you've done. And until you accept that I am a sinner, I've made mistakes and I'm, I'm wrong, then no one can do right and God can't do right until you own what you've done wrong. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. Here's the thing, fam. We read this and we go, man, God is mean. God is executing his judgment. But there's something that pops out to me. And even as I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm just going to keep starring everywhere I see it. Because every, every phrase, this is poetic, by the way. Every phrase as he's writing it, he's showing all the things that are going to happen to these people. And all these things that are going to happen to the prophets. And then he ends with these judgments. And in these judgments, he says, uh, look at verse 16 in chapter 12. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And in, 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 in verse 20, then you shall know that I am the Lord. You go down um, further down in this text and it says um, uh, in chapter 13, he repeats it over and over again in verse, uh, in verse nine, then you shall know that I am the Lord. And then he goes through 13 and in verse 13, all the way to 14, at the end of 14, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then as we continue to read these further judgments that are being made, then you shall know that I am the Lord in verse 21. Then in verse 23, we look at it again and what sticks out, then you shall know that I am the Lord. This is becoming like the hook in a song. 
And then he reads about their idolatry and the punishment of their idolatry. And then he goes on to say, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then he talks about their unfaithfulness and the consequences of their unfaithfulness. And as you read all the way to the end, in the end, he says, then you shall know that I am the Lord. We read through chapter 15 and he uses the analogy of the vine that has been ripped away from the tree, the outcast vine. And in verse six, he says, and I will set my face against them and they shall go out from one another and another fire will be, will devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. How can we know the Lord when things are going wrong? Because if we do wrong and the consequence of it is wrong, then we will know that God is right. This is, this is where we have to ask ourselves the question is what I'm going through God's fault or my fault? Reflect on that for a moment is what I'm going through God's fault or is it my fault? Is God punishing me or did I create this mess? Sometimes we think that it's just God punishing us, not realizing it's simply the system and how things go, that with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And whenever you make a decision and do something, there's a consequence to that decision. I think sometimes when we ask God for forgiveness, we're just asking God that we don't suffer the consequence for the decision that we make in the moment. When the reality is, is that God's forgiveness for us was eternal life, but he still has his righteousness in his system on earth. That if we don't follow and we don't align ourselves to the heart and the will of God, there are going to be consequences all the way to heaven. Did you hear me, family? <laughs> we ask God for forgiveness, but is our asking for forgiveness so that we don't suffer the consequences of the mistakes we make continually over and over? Or is God forgiving us of our sins, the opportunity through the blood of Jesus Christ to have access again to him in eternity. God took care of our eternity, but the work that we have to do here requires us to be submitted to him. As long as you choose yourself as a Lord over God, there's going to be consequences. And when you face those consequences, then you will know God. Did y'all, do y'all understand where I'm at? I know this sounds rough and it sounds hard because people go, man, God must be mean. No, God's not mean. God is God. That's what I'm going to name this, this, this episode. God is God. He's God. He's, he, he's not going to change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is the same God. He's not changing for you. Okay. He doesn't change for you. 
You were created for his glory. He's transforming you in him that you may experience shalom. But if you find yourself in a place where, man, I'm, and the world is messed up and the world is broken, have you thought that maybe it's because we have made ourselves God over God? We have not served under his authority. The idols are in our hearts. We see all of this. If I were to put all of this in a nutshell, is that the judgment of Israel is not because they're breaking this law and breaking that law and breaking this law and breaking that law and breaking this small law and breaking that law of the 614 laws they're breaking. That's not it. It's that they've chosen themselves over God. Like if you were to put all this in a nutshell, is that they became their own gods, worshiping their own idols. And these idols were idols they created and they put it in their heart. Notice the idols weren't just idols they celebrated and worshiped, but the idols were now in their heart. It took root in them. God is second, third, fourth, fifth, maybe even last in their lives. If you ask me a question and say, hey, Pastor Isaac, can you define idolatry? Here's my definition today and my change. My definition today is not putting God first. Idolatry is not putting God first. That simple. Anything you put before God is idolatry. If you put your husband before God, it's idolatry. If you put your wife before God, it's idolatry. If you put your children before God, it's idolatry. If you put your politics before God, it's idolatry. If you put your pastor before God, it's idolatry. If you put anything before God, it's idolatry. And watch this. If you put anything before God, it's going to come with consequences. Not because God is punishing you, but because God is God. Done. Father, I thank you for the time that we spent here in your word. Father, bless us as we leave today, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we navigate through this day, that we're reminded of how important it is to submit to you, to submit ourselves entirely to you. To know that as we live this life, let us not live it celebrating other things in precedence to you, but Lord, that we know that you precede all things. Father, we ask as we pray today, Lord, lead us, guide us, Lord, guide us to the truth of who you are. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. Family, I love y'all. God bless each and every one of you. Uh, I'm encouraged even as we spend time in this word. It is a blessing. It is an absolute blessing to be here with you guys. Thank you, subscribers. Love y'all. Um, I see some of y'all have subscribed. Thank you for subscribing on, on Instagram. By the way, now on Instagram, if you subscribe, you get to watch it live. So I'm going to end this live. You won't get to see it because I don't like it on my profile, but it will be on the subscription. So all the subscribers can check it out. It's all yours. You 
can listen to it at any time. And I'm also posting this on Patreon. So you can also check it on Patreon. If you're looking to support us, become a subscriber on, on TikTok. Become a subscriber on Instagram. Become a patron on Patreon. I have a Bible study today on Patreon tonight, guys, at 7 p.m. We have our Bible study. We're going to start with the book of Ephesians. I'm excited about that. Uh, the book of Ephesians. I look forward to you guys coming and joining us for that. We're going to engage in a Bible study and I pray it'll be a blessing to you guys. And I will make it available in subscriber only chat for TikTok and I'll make it available for the subscribers only on IG. So there you go. Um, but it'll be exciting. I, I look forward to connecting with you guys today. No distractions now, just the subscribers. All the people who bought in will be with us as we spend time in studying the word of God tonight. So yes, see y'all tonight. I look forward to it. I will be posting the link midway through the day patrons. So um, stay tuned for that. And I'll be posting this audio as well so that our patrons can listen in on it. But guys, I love y'all. I'll see y'all tomorrow. If you're not coming to Bible study, I hope to see a whole bunch of y'all tonight. Love y'all fam. God bless you guys. See you guys on the other side. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, cognizant of the reality that you are the source of all things that are good. Father, teach us, Lord, to trust in you, to rely upon you, to lean on you. Father, teach us to give ourselves entirely to you, to put you first in all things. Father, I ask that you would bless us, guide us, lead us, Lord, to the path of righteousness for your name and for your glory. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.